Welcome as we join together to study God's Word. My name's David Morton and I'm one of the members here at Breton Baptist Church. As Christians we believe in the power of God's Word, the Bible, and its ability to speak into our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. We also believe that there is nowhere we can find ourselves where God is not present. So as we continue in our social isolation, let's join together in the knowledge and the confidence that where two or three are gathered together, Jesus is in our midst. God's presence and his power is with us. Let's pray. A prayer by David Adam. Lord, you are. Lord, you are here in this very moment. Lord, you are around me and within me. You may be unseen, yet you are very near. You made me, love me, and are within me. You are my light, Lord, no matter how dark the day. You are the light, Lord, that cannot be overcome. You are the light of my life and the light in my life. Lord, abiding in me, you are my salvation. With you in me and I in you, I shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, you are here in this very moment. Lord, you are. Amen. If you're joining us for the first time in this current season, we're allowing God to speak to us through Mark's Gospel. Each week we focus on a different aspect of what God is calling us to look at, and this week we're going to look at Mark chapter 5, and in particular how God, through Jesus Christ, transforms the lives of two completely different individuals, both of whom who were isolated from their family and from their community. As we start, it's good to remind ourselves of why Mark wrote his gospel and why it was compiled in the way that it was. As John reminded us a couple of weeks ago, Mark's gospel is fast-paced and action-packed. Written in Greek, it's fought by some commentators to reflect the preaching and teaching of the Apostle Peter. Chapters like chapter 5 can be so action-packed and have so much detail in them, it's hard to keep up with the pace. In cinematic terms, chapter five would be an action and adventure blockbuster. But with all blockbusters, it's easy to miss the small details as the action rushes on by. So why does Mark do this? What is he trying to communicate about Jesus? Why was it so important for the early church to hear what Mark was saying? Within his gospel, main, Mark's main purpose is simply this, to reveal Jesus as Messiah, the Son of God. What was not clear to the disciples at the time, what was not clear to the crowds, the religious authorities, what they could not see, what they could not hear, what they could not understand, what they would not understand, what they were afraid of, Mark now reveals to his audience. To Mark, it was clear that not only was Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, but that his coming brought with it the arrival of the kingdom of God, God's dynamic presence. His powerful sovereignty becomes visible in history, along with his transforming power over nature, the demonic, 
over illness and death. The kingdom of God for Mark was a reality that directly touched and impacted on the lives of individuals. Here is truth. The one who calms the storm, the one who set the demon-possessed man free, the one who healed the woman with the issue of blood and the one who raised Jairus's daughter from the dead is the same God, Jesus Christ, whom we worship today. A God who speaks to us through his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. A God who longs to be involved in your life and also in mine. So what does God want to say to us today as we continue to be the dispersed church gathered together? What does he want to teach us of his kingdom and his love for us? How does he want to transform our lives? Let's start by looking at the account of the demon-possessed man. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The Decapolis was a Gentile area in Greek speaking. The journey across the lake takes Jesus out of Jewish territory into an area that would have been deeply troubling for the disciples. 
Contact with the dead was forbidden by religious law, and Jewish folklore spoke of demons and evil spirits flourishing in the dark places and amongst the tombs of the dead. Mark paints a picture of a man, a Gentile man, who was as far from the presence of God as was humanly and spiritually possible. This was a man seemingly without hope. His family must have tried everything to protect him, both from himself and from others. They tried to bring him healing, wholeness and restoration, but the demons within him had driven them away. He had nowhere left to go, and so he went to a place where nobody willingly went, a place for the Jewish people that was utterly repellent. The man dwelled with the dead and the decaying. Tormented and distressed, he could no longer be touched, helped, healed, set free. Or could he? Then he encountered Jesus. Jesus commands the demons to leave him. They inhabit a herd of pigs and moments later they crash down the hillside and into the lake. This leaves the man in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. But this is not the end of the story. There's always that temptation, isn't it, when you're watching an adventure blockbuster to get the remote control and just to skim over from one action scene to another. But to do so misses one of the most important parts of Mark's gospel. In verse 18 to 20, we read the following. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And the Bible says all of the people were amazed. Now the Greek here is important. The man transformed, renewed, restored, wants to become a disciple. In fact, he wants to become the 13th disciple. Jesus declines, we don't know why. But unlike the other people he's healed and restored, he doesn't tell the man to be quiet. Instead, he sends him out to proclaim what the Lord has done for him. Jesus places a new calling on his life. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, he says, and how much he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Now we see the same message revealed in 1 Peter as he speaks to the early church. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a chosen people that you may declare. You are a royal priesthood that you may declare. You are a holy nation that you may declare. You are God's special possession, that you may declare. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I do wonder whether Peter 
as he preached this to the early church and as he transcribed it to the scribe who was writing his works down, whether he saw the image of the man sitting at the feet of Jesus, cleansed, healed. The man, newly transformed, declares to the Gentile people of the Decapolis what Jesus had done for him. And this proclamation had an effect because in Mark chapter 7 verses 31 to 32 we read the following. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon and into the Decapolis down to the Sea of Galilee. And there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. A man restored, renewed, with a new calling, proclaims Jesus, the Son of God, and creates within a Gentile community such a heart, such a desire to see the power of God at work, that they come begging to Jesus to heal the deaf man. Such was their expectation. What a calling for us as a church and for individuals, as us as individuals that our proclamation of the gospel, both in word or in deed, would create such a desire amongst our non-believing family and friends and the local community that they long to see Jesus at work in their lives. Just imagine walking along the street and someone stopping you to ask for prayer. Imagine people knocking on the door of the church, such as their desire and their expectation to see God at work in their own life and the lives of their family. Wouldn't it be amazing? So we've looked at the man, now let's look at the woman. Now Jesus travels back across the lake from the Decapolis and to the Jewish town of Capernaum. When Jesus went in the boat back to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him there. A leader of the synagogue named Jairus came there, saw Jesus and fell at his feet. He begged Jesus, saying again and again, My daughter is dying! Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and will live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed Jesus and pushed very close around him. Among them was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered very much from many doctors and spent all the money she had, but instead of improving, she was getting worse. When the woman heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his coat. She thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Instantly, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. At once, Jesus felt power go out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? His followers said, Look at how many people are pushing against you, and you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus continued to look around to see who had, who had touched him. The woman, knowing that she was healed, came and fell at Jesus' feet, shaking with fear. She told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, Dear woman, you are made well because you believed. Go in peace, be healed from your disease. I get the feeling they must have been watching and waiting for him. 
There was a large crowd on the lake shore when Jesus arrived and as he moved up into the town, that got bigger and bigger and bigger. And as the streets narrowed down, the people became compressed. People were jostling together, the noise level rose. The scene must have bordered on something that was chaotic. Pretty much the whole town of 1,500 people seemed to be out on the streets following Jesus. Now with the tightly packed streets, where most people would have known each other by sight, if not by name, it's hard to imagine that there were people who were hidden away, removed from community life, isolated or alone. The woman with the issue of blood was one of these people. Shut away, condemned by religious rules, invisible to her community, to the people of God. In many ways, she was spiritually bound. Her family obviously loved her and had the sufficient financial means to explore every single medical treatment available to them. But all to no avail. I get the sense this was a woman of courage. I wonder how she heard about Jesus. Was this a spur of the moment decision? Triggered by the sound of the crowds as they kind of flowed and ebbed past her window? Or had she listened, planned and waited? Waited for Jesus to go past? She obviously had a plan. If only she could reach out and touch Jesus, even the hem of his garments. Now the time came to put her plan into action. I wonder what she must have felt when she stepped outside her door. Fear, expectation, the worry of being discovered and shooed back into her house. She had the faith. All she now needed was the opportunity. What emerges is a three-part story. The woman reaches out in faith and touches Jesus and is healed. Then Jesus, recognising that power had gone out for him, calls for someone to come and give testimony to what had happened. And having delivered her testimony, Jesus restores the woman back into the community from which she had been excluded. Verse 34 says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She's made whole. Two encounters to learn, I think, from the account of the woman with the issue of blood. Firstly, encountering Jesus takes courage. Courage to recognise that things have gone on for long enough. Courage to recognise that action needs to be taken. Courage to overcome our fear and our doubt. Faith is only liberated when we act. Now, there's a question here for all of us, I think. Where in our own lives do we need the courage to reach out to Jesus? Where do we need the courage to encounter Jesus anew? The woman with the issue of blood reminds us that where courage is combined with faith, it can reveal and release healing, wholeness and restoration into our lives. As with most relationships, you collect little items, curios over the years. When we first moved to Peterborough, uh, Debbie and I bought this little piece of glasswork and hopefully you should see the image ping in on our right hand side. In the image there's a sense of movement, 
of the person lying down reaching out to meet the hand of the standing figure. For Debbie and I, it reminded us and still reminds us of Jesus reaching out to bring healing and wholeness. And I'm confident that for some of us, he wants to do that right now. As he reaches out to us, so we need to reach out to him. Now at the bottom of the screen somewhere is a little button entitled prayer. And there are people waiting to pray for you in confidence right now. So if you felt God prompting you, all you need to do is to reach out. Secondly, it's interesting to note how God calls those who have had an encounter with Jesus to give testimony. Testimony and faith seem to go together. But testimony can have many different forms. The woman having touched Jesus was called to give legal testimony to what had happened. In verse 33 we read, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Now any of you that have seen these courtroom dramas will have that phrase ringing in your head. Will you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me God. However, once the woman had given that legal testimony, once that had occurred, it seems that for the woman, her testimony was to be worked out through her visible presence in the midst of a community she had once been excluded from. In contrast, freed from the demons, the man begs to be a disciple of Jesus, but Jesus chooses a different path for him and sends him out to proclaim what the Lord has done for him. And his proclamation had an amazing effect, changing the lives of a Gentile community and preparing them for the miraculous works of Jesus. Jesus sends one home, he sends one out. Both with the same purpose, to be visible witnesses to the power of God in Jesus Christ. And today, God does the same. He calls us to be visible witnesses to Christ where he has placed us whether that be in the home, whether that be out in the community, whether it be in isolation, whether it be out of isolation. A man, a woman, both experiencing life-changing encounters with Jesus. One painful chapter of their life ends and another one begins. Mark skillfully weaves their stories together into a broader narrative. And it's worth reminding ourselves of why he does this. Firstly, Jesus has the power to change lives. Mark sets out with one simple aim as he writes his gospel. Reveal Jesus as Messiah, as Lord over nature, the demonic over sickness and over death. And that is what he does. In two powerful encounters, Jesus demonstrates that he has the power to change lives. He changed the life of the man. He changed the life of the woman. He has the power to change your life. He has the power to change my life. God's dynamic presence is truly at work in the world. Secondly, there is no one Jesus cannot reach. 
No one Jesus cannot touch with his love and resurrection power. No one who cannot enter the kingdom of God. On the face of it, the demon-possessed man and the woman with the issue of blood were as far as they could be from the reach of God. Yet in one case, Jesus found them, and in the other, they found Jesus. God can meet you and your needs anytime, anywhere, any place, in isolation, in community, out of community, in church, out of church, and in doing so, can transform your life. And finally, Roger Wagner is a, a poet and artist who creates collections and compilations of poetry and artwork. When I was last in London, which seems now a very long time ago, I bought a copy of one of his latest works, The Nearer You Stand. It is, as Rowan Williams describes, a book of transfigurations. It's a book that charts the revelation and transformation that can occur when you meet Jesus. In his poem, The Road to Emmaus, Wagner writes this. And as he talked, a world where light had died began to seem transparent once again to some strange hope which had been prophesied in which a broken servant who had died would salvage every last soul from their sins. And as the mealtime conversation ends, and as he breaks bread, sitting on the floor, the stranger is a stranger now no more. And in that ending, everything begins. And in that ending, everything begins for the followers of Jesus, as Jesus in his risen power is revealed to them. And as they rush back up that dusty road to Jerusalem to proclaim that Jesus is alive. For the demon-possessed man, set free, an encounter with Jesus transforms him and releases him to proclaim what Jesus has done for him. And in that ending, everything begins. For the woman with the issue of blood, an encounter with Jesus restores her to health and to her rightful place in the community. She is made whole. And in that ending, everything begins. God transformed both the woman and the man through the revelation of who he is, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he can reveal you today. And in doing so, transform your life, restoring you, renewing you, even recreating you. And in that moment, for you, everything will begin anew. As one chapter of your life ends, another begins. So where do you need to encounter Jesus today? Maybe you're encountering Jesus for the first time. Mark chapter 5 clearly shows us that Jesus has the authority. Jesus has the power. But Jesus also has compassion on those who have the courage to come and kneel at his feet and seek a new beginning. Will you do that today? Just use the prayer button at the bottom of the screen and someone will be delighted to pray for you. And as we conclude in worship, and as you pray, all the glory 
and all the praise will go to Jesus. Amen.